Ship, uh, we're going to go ahead and dismiss you guys right over here, uh, our first and second graders. Um, you guys can go ahead and head out towards that direction. I hope you guys are excited to be here this morning. Are you excited? Yeah. Awesome. That's great. That's actually really good. I, I don't know how we can sit through um, singing a song about how worthy the Lamb is and not get excited about who God is. And, and uh, this, this parable that you guys have just seen on the screen is really the idea that we're going to be looking towards today. We're going to be thinking about that there's something in front of us as Christians that is so valuable that we are willing to give everything that we have in order to gain it. And so um, we're asked today, you guys, if you've been here the last few weeks, you know that we've been talking about this idea of heaven going through this series on earth. And we've looked at things like, what does heaven look like? We've looked at um, things like, what are we going to be like in heaven? And today, we want to look at the idea that heaven actually affects the way that we live today. And we're going to talk about the theme of living in light of heaven. How does the fact that heaven is in front of us change the way that we live as Christians and as God's people today? So instead of really looking at heaven today, we're going to be looking kind of towards heaven to see how heaven affects um, our lives. And I want us to think a little bit, this is kind of weird if you've ever been in an English class before or a foreign language, there's these things that go along with verbs called tenses. Um, some of you guys may remember tenses, I don't know. But um, when you're thinking about tenses, you have like a past tense and a present tense and a future tense, right? So the past tense talks about, um, I did this, I've done this. The present tense is, I'm, I'm doing this. And a future tense basically is looking to the idea of, I will uh, accomplish this one day. And I want us to think about our lives kind of in the sense of those tenses. What, what kind of life are we living? Are we living a life that's in the past tense? Are we living a life that's in present tense? Are we living a life that's in um, a future tense? And so we're going to be looking a little bit at those ideas um, this morning. I want to start off just to kind of let you guys know, um, there was a point in my life where I kind of got a little fed up with the way that my life was going. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but you feel like you're kind of in a rut and you need something else, that there's got to be something better out there for you, that things aren't going exactly the, the way that you want them to go, and so you're hoping for something better. And so I was kind of at this point in my life where I wanted something better for me. Um, I'd just gotten really used to having this, what I felt like was an average life, and I wanted something um, that was so much better. And so I started to think about kind of going on a journey to make my life um, more of what I thought I wanted it to be like. And I realized that that's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take um, giving up some things that I really love in order to gain. But I felt like this was going to be the goal um, that I really wanted to have. And so when I did this, I wanted people that I cared about to kind of understand what I was going through. And so what I did was I kind of documented my thoughts and my feelings and put those down uh, on paper to give to the people that I cared for. And I've actually got that to put up on the screen uh, this morning. I was six years old and I got fed up with my normal life. I wanted something better. I wanted something greater uh, than what was going on. And I loved my family. I didn't have a beef with them. But I was like, there's got to be something really exciting out there for me. And so I packed up everything that I felt like was valuable, which was my teddy bear and my Spider-Man pajamas in my backpack. And I took off down the street after I left this note for my family that said, I loved those times, but I think it's time for me to go. 
And so I'm ready to go, and I'm heading out on this journey. So I leave this note, like I taped it to my parents' door, and I walked out of the house. And so I'm walking down the street. I've got my backpack on, and I'm on my journey for something that's better. So five minutes go in, and I'm feeling really good about this. Ten minutes, I'm kind of getting to further than I've ever walked before, and I'm like, I don't really know about this. Fifteen minutes hit, and I'm like, this is a really bad idea. And I just start crying. And so I turn around, and I run back for home. I walk in the door to my house, and I'm like, I'm back, I'm back. And they're like, what are you talking about? (laughs) You're even gone. And it upset me so much that they didn't even know I was gone. But they went and found the note, and my mom saved it for me, which is now why I haven't scanned in. But um, guys, we are on a journey in life. And I think that as kids, we kind of understand something that we miss out on as adults. And that's the fact that the future and what's ahead of us is actually better than where we are now and what's behind us. We have this hope as kids for something great coming in our lives. But as adults, what we do is we go through life and we hit difficult times and hard times. And as those moments come, we begin to feel defeated. We begin to struggle. And those, um, those times that are difficult, those struggles really begin to cast like a dark light on what's ahead of us. So as we're looking to our future life, rather than, than hoping in what's coming, we're thinking, that there's just more of that ahead of us, and it causes us to be afraid for what's in front of us. That's not the kind of life that God desires for his people to live. He wants us to look towards what's ahead of us, to find hope, and to find joy in what's coming. And we need to regain kind of that sense that we had as children, to know that there is something great that we have to look forward to. And specifically for us, that thing is heaven. That we have hope and we have joy in the fact that our God has redeemed us and that he wants to bring us on to something that's far greater than we could ever imagine. And so I want us to examine our lives today. I want us to take some time just to look at our hearts and say, where is my heart? Am I living in a way that is, is afraid because of what's happened in the past, that's distracted by everything that's going on in my life now? Or am I really living a life that's anticipating what God is going to do in the future and where he is going to bring me. Paul's talking about this in Philippians chapter 3, which is where you're going to be. If you guys have your Bibles, let's open up to Philippians 3. Um, kind of in the beginning of this chapter, Paul goes through this long list of all the good that he has accomplished in his life. And let me tell you, like, Paul's got a list that's like better than any of ours. Um, he's done some pretty incredible things in his life. But he gets to a point after going through that where he says, but I count it all as loss compared to knowing Jesus. I count it all as loss, even not as good, but as negatives compared to knowing Jesus. Those things just aren't valuable at all. And Paul begins to talk about how it is because of Jesus that he has any good that's inside of him. And he speaks of the power of the gospel in his life, the fact that Jesus came and lived a sinless life The fact that he took our sins upon himself and died on a cross, put those sins to death, and then rose to life and gained this victory that he gave to us so that one day we are going to be able to live in perfection because Jesus attained it for us, not because we attained it for ourselves. And so Paul's talking about this, and he's giving that as a context to say the gospel is so important to this equation. It's the only way that any of this is possible. But as we look 
starting in verse 12, he begins to kind of carry on and speak on from there. So I want us to read verses 12 through 21 and see what he has to say. And he says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul's finding hope here. Let's dig in into verse 12 and see where he wants to take us. And so remember earlier he's talking about that all those good things that he's done, though he's accomplished so much in his life, that's really a negative compared to what Jesus has done for him and what Jesus has done in his life. And so in verse 12 he says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. Because remember, it's not what he does that makes him perfect. It's what Christ has done for him that brings him to that point. But nevertheless, even though that's the case, he says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Though Paul hasn't achieved it yet, he knows that he needs to keep moving forward, that he needs to press on for what God has for him. He's not satisfied with where he is. He's not going to look at his life and say, what I have now, where I am now is enough. Because he knows that it's not. He knows that it's only in Christ that he can find satisfaction. Not in anything that he has done for himself. And so Paul realizes he hasn't reached this goal yet. He's still pressing on towards it. And for us, I think that's a huge factor. The fact that we haven't gotten there yet motivates us to move in that direction and motivates us to get there. And so the fact that we see heaven in front of us, the fact that we realize we're not there yet, causes us to want to press on and to move in that direction. It motivates us. And the reason is because, like he says, Jesus made us his own. Jesus came and he bought us when we were hopeless and when we were lost and there was nothing we could do to save ourselves. Jesus came and he grabbed us and he gave us hope and he gave us life. In Romans 8:29, Paul says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Jesus makes us his own so that we can be like him. And this is the goal. This is what we're moving towards so that one day we can achieve um, this, this righteousness that God has promised us. And it's not based on what we've done, but it's because of what Jesus has done for us. In verse 13, Paul kind of repeats himself. He says, brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own. Again, I haven't done it in and of myself. It's not what I've done. Then he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. There was a group kind of in the church of people that Paul knew he was kind of writing to. And there were some people who felt like that Um, taking Christianity and then mixing a little bit of Judaism into it 
Um, Jesus, yes, but also following the law is important. And, uh, and, and Paul's saying no. He's like, there's nothing that you can obtain yourself by, by obeying any kind of rule. It's only because of what Jesus has done. We can't obtain, uh, obtain this perfection for ourselves. It's Jesus who obtains it for us. And so that's what he's saying. And then he does something that I think is really incredible. When we talk about the Christian life and we talk about what we have to do to be like Jesus, uh, we could like write a list that would go on and on and on and on forever. But Paul says, one thing I do, just one. There's one thing that I do. He summarizes it all for us when he says, I forget what lies behind me and I strain forward to what lies ahead of me. It's a willingness to realize that heaven is such a valuable treasure that we are willing to toss everything out of our lives that's in the way in order to gain it, to have it, to obtain it. It changes our perspective. It changes everything about who we are and about what we're doing. It keeps us moving ahead. I know... You guys have, and I have as well. We've all been through really difficult stuff in our life. And when we go through hard times, what that does for us sometimes is it really affects the way that we move forward in the future. And I don't know if you've ever had such a a difficult thing happen in your life before that it changed the way that you respond and the way that you react to things that happen in the future. But I know I have where I've gone through something that's just really hard and it causes me to be cautious. It causes me to be skeptical. It influences relationships that I enter into with people because I don't trust people as well because in the past, I've been hurt by people. It affects my, my, my all just view of life because I realize that there's been difficult stuff behind me. So what's to say that there's not gonna be really difficult stuff ahead of me? The past cripples us. It causes us to, to kind of sit back before we respond. It causes us to not necessarily even want to move forward because we're scared of what might happen. But what Paul says here is, look, we've got to be willing to forget that stuff. Jesus wants more from us. He wants us to move forward to something that is so much greater. We can't let the past be the thing that drives our lives. But instead, we've got to be the future that God, we've got to let the future that God has promised us in heaven be the thing that pushes us on, that drives us forward to do the things that we do day to day. Luke 9, 62, Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus wants us to be future focused. He wants us to be living our lives in a future tense, not in a way that's crippled by what's behind us, but in a way that's focused on the hope and the anticipation of the promise that he's given us as we move forward. If you're running a race, just imagine. A lot of you guys run races. That's awesome, but I haven't. But if you're running a race, just imagine you're running a race and all of a sudden like Everybody who's running the race, instead of keeping their eyes on what's ahead and the prize, they begin to like look backwards instead, but still try to move forward. What's going to happen? Everybody's going to run into each other, and it's going to be a huge disaster, broken legs, and all kinds of crazy stuff. So like, we end up with major problems when we're trying to move forward, but we keep looking behind us. And our lives are the same way. We've got to be looking for the future. The only way that we can break the power of the past 
And the hold that it has on our lives is by living for the future and not letting it keep us from what God wants for us as we get there. In verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Heaven is the finish line. Heaven is what we strive for. It's what we run towards. It's the direction that we're moving in our lives. And it's got to be, we've got to be pressing on towards this, towards this. And once we get in heaven, Scripture tells us that we receive the prize. And really the prize is what Paul was talking about earlier when he's talking about um, how we are gaining the righteousness of Jesus, that we're gaining this perfection. Again, that's not because of what we do. We run the race And it is God who gives us the prize at the end. And that prize is the hope that we have um, in Jesus, which is a huge thing. We receive what we're striving for. In 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 8, Paul says this. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Life's not easy, yes. We have to fight the fight. We've got to finish the race. We've got to keep moving in this path that God has for us. But for Paul, it's worth doing all of those things in order to keep pressing on and in order to gain the prize that God has promised us in heaven in the end. Some of you guys may remember in uh, the 1992 Olympics, if you were alive or old enough to remember at that point, um, there was a guy named Derek Redman. It's one of the most like, heartwarming uh, moments in the history of the Olympics. He, he was training his whole life for the 400-meter run. And as Derek was training his whole life, um, his dad was, was kind of the guy that was pushing him. And they had this relationship. And his dad kept telling him over and over again, the important thing is not even that you win, but that it's, it's that you finish. It's that you cross that finish line. And so Derek came into 1992, and he was slated to win, to medal that year uh, of some kind. And there was a lot of excitement around Derek. And I've actually got a video clip of the race that uh, we can watch really quick. It's one of the, the greatest moments in Olympic history. As Derek was, was running, um, all of a sudden he pulled a hamstring. And the pain was so great as he, as he, he fell down and he, he tried to get up and, and keep moving. But you could just see the agony on his face. But for Derek, the great news is that his dad was up in the stands. And as he saw his son fall, um, he knew that as Derek was getting back up again and he was trying to finish the race, he knew that there was no way that he could finish it on his own. And so his dad came and and rushed rushed down the steps and jumped over um, the thing and went down and knocked people out of the way to get to his son and to carry his son across the finish line as he was in painful agony. It's a great, great illustration of the fact that we can't do it. Our efforts aren't enough, guys. And we have the finish line of heaven, and we have to realize that it is God who helps us to cross that finish line. It's not us. We can't do it in and of ourselves, but God gives us what we need to get us across. But it doesn't mean that we still don't have to give effort. It doesn't mean that we still uh, don't have to go through difficulty to get there. But God ultimately comes and helps us cross that line and gives us what we need um, in order to become like Jesus. And there's great, great hope in that. We can't achieve it, but we've got to give effort to it. 
It's God who does the work to get us there. We've been made new as believers, as Christians. God has made us new, but yet we are, for whatever reason, still focusing on our past. And we're still focusing on where we are in our present now. We spend our lives to get a great job so that we can get a great house and drive nice cars and live a comfortable life for our family. And those things aren't bad at all. But when they become our focus, then we've missed the point of what God wants for us in our lives. We're tempted by so much. Tempted by the flesh, tempted to to gossip, to have drama, um, to destroy relationship, to care too much about, about what we look like and how we present ourselves. We care about stuff that's pointless and useless when it comes to eternity. And God is asking us to invest our lives in so much more, such bigger stuff, that our lives aren't about what's temporary, but our lives become about what's eternal and what matters in the long run. That's what living in light of heaven means. It means sometimes that we're willing to push away what is earthly, to push away what is temporary, to strive for something that lasts forever in heaven. C.S. Lewis said one time, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. And for him, what he's saying is that my belief and my faith in God changes the way that I view the world. For us today, it's just as true to say that our view, looking forward, looking to the future that God has promised us in heaven, should change the way that we view everything about our lives. But instead, so often, we're letting what's behind us be the thing that changes how we view everything in our lives. And God is saying, stop looking behind you. Start looking forward to what is so much greater. So we've got to strive for what's ahead. Secondly, we need to let God change our perspective. Um, Just real quick, Paul talks about here in verses 15 and 16. He said, "Let, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And basically he's just saying, if you're spiritually mature, that's going to be your view. You're going to be looking forward to what's ahead of you and you're not going to be held down by what's behind you. And if you're not there yet, if you're growing in Christ, then you're going to be moving in that direction. But how are we going to do it? Um, He says, let us hold true to what we've attained. Let us hold true to what God has given us. God sets the path. God sets the direction. In a race, we don't have a bunch of people just in this open area running in a lot of different directions. But we have a specific path that we are to go down so that we can reach the goal. Our faith is the same way. God has set the path that we run on to get to heaven. We just have to be obedient to follow the path that that God has set. Um, Some of you guys, if you've ever like gone to the store and bought um, a piece of furniture that comes in a box, you know that it is incredibly painful when you get home to open it up, spread everything out, and then you see that, that huge instruction book. Like I did this recently, Emily and I bought something at Ikea, and I end up with like this huge instruction book and all these pieces everywhere, and I'm just kind of like, I can do this. And so I set it aside, start piecing everything together. Before too long, I realize that I'm using like the top as the bottom, and I've used the wrong screw here and there. It's because I'm not following the instructions. 
and actually have to go back and undo everything that I've done so that I can start over and use the instructions that get me to the end goal that I want to have. God has given us the instructions and the path that we need to get us pressing on towards heaven so that we can live in light of heaven. We've just got to be obedient to find them. So what does it look like? If you guys were here for our sojourn series, um, this is what we talked about, that whole series. How do we live as Christians? What does this journey for us look like of spiritual maturity? If you weren't here, I encourage you, go. They're all online. Go listen to them. It was a great series. Um, But uh, ultimately, it kind of boils down to three things. And these three things are what we call, as a church, our gospel threads. And in that sense, they're the things that kind of hold everything together. They're the things that run through everything that we do as a church. The first one is Scripture. We need to be spending time in God's Word daily. We've got to be getting to know Him by reading His Word, by allowing ourselves um, to, to spend time here so that God can speak to us. In 1 Peter 2.2, 2, um, this is referred to as, it says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. God's Word is what feeds us. It's what makes us stronger. It's what keeps us moving on the path. The second thing is prayer. Prayer is vital. Communication with God. Speaking to God about what's going on in your life, what you're struggling with, but at the same time, letting him speak back to you and taking the time to stop and listen to what he has to say. Vitally important. Number three. Number three is discipleship. We've got to let people invest in our lives. We've got to let people help us grow. This is a theme that you see over and over again in scripture. Hebrews 13:7 says, "Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith." Find someone that you can walk through life with, walk through the word of God with, and imitate what they're doing. This is a great thing about a huddle. A huddle takes care of all of this for you. At least one day a week. <laughs> And so if you are in a huddle like Stephanie was talking about earlier, then you're in God's word, you're spending time in prayer, and you're allowing yourself to be discipled. Those are the three keys for us as we're moving down this path that that God has set for us. Um, So strive for what's ahead. Let God change your perspective. Lastly, we've got to keep our eyes on the prize. We've got to keep our eyes on heaven, what's in front of us. Verse 17 Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. It's this idea of discipleship, that we are allowing someone else to help us as we struggle, as we move forward. Um, There's a lot of people who would just say because of past situations with people, I'm just going to follow Jesus and that's enough. And Jesus is absolutely enough. But Jesus is the standard of perfection. He's the standard of righteousness. He never had to achieve it. He's always had it. It's incredibly helpful for us to watch other people ahead of us in the race and see how they respond to struggle, see how they respond to disappointment, to see how they battle sin in their life. Because as we see them overcome things, it helps us learn how we need to do the same thing as well. So we've got to find people that we can imitate. It's incredibly helpful. Verses 18 and 19, he says, For many, of whom I have often told you and now even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Paul's just saying, not everyone is a good example. And sadly, there are people out there 
that are not seeking after the Lord, that are following the ways of this world to find satisfaction. And Paul says about them, their end is destruction. They're going to end in destruction. They don't have the hope that we have in heaven. He says their glory is their, their God is their belly. This is what they care about. They care about appetite. They care about food. They care about sexual appetite. All these things that they invest their lives in that are here, that are temporary to try and fulfill. That's what they run after, those things that are temporary. Um, He also says that they glory in their shame. Instead of placing their glory in the God that they hope in, who has promised them heaven, they glory in the things that most of us would hide behind doors because we don't want anyone else to see. And they set their minds on earthly things, things that are temporary, not things that are eternal. What I love about that verse, though, it's not what Paul says because that's tragic and it's hard to read. But he says that he tells us about that with tears. It breaks his heart. It breaks the heart of Paul to realize that there are those that are heading on a path of destruction who live broken lives without the hope that we have of a Savior. And he's got so much joy in his Savior and so much joy in the promise of heaven that's there for him that when he sees people in his life that don't have that hope, it breaks his heart. And we need to be in the same place. Living in light of heaven means that people who don't have that same hope should cause us to have compassion. But so often as Christians, what we do instead is we point at them and talk about their failures. Jesus looked at the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That's how we need to see the people in our lives. It would cause us to want to display and to say the gospel, speak the gospel into their lives. Lastly, um, in verses 20 and 21, Paul talks about, but our citizenship is in heaven. From it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things unto himself. God takes us from being people that are broken to being people that are holy. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're not there now, but it's our home. The people of Philippi understood this. They were citizens of Rome, which was a city that was over 600 miles away from where they were. The vast majority of them had never been to Rome, but Rome was their home. Rome was what they found their hope in for life. Heaven is our home as God's people. It is where we find our hope. It is what we live towards as we live in this future tense. And we've got to cultivate that love. We've got to anticipate that love in an eager way. Romans 8.23 says, Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. How many of us are eagerly awaiting what God has promised us? We're anticipating it. We want nothing more than the promise of heaven that he has given us. I've got a few quotes of some guys um, who didn't think towards the future. They weren't living in the future tense. A guy named Lee D. Forrest, he invented the cathode ray tube, which kind of like took care of our televisions for a really long time, said this one time. 
Theoretically, television may be feasible, but I consider it an impossibility, a development which we should waste little time dreaming about. He wasn't thinking ahead, wasn't thinking future tense. This is a great one. Thomas J. Watson, chairman of IBM in 1943. Um, This was back when computers were like the size of a room. He said this. He said, I think there is probably a world market for about five computers. Not thinking ahead. We all have computers in our pockets now. Um, Lastly, a record company executive in 1962 said this. We don't think the Beatles will do anything in their market. Guitar groups are on their way out. These are people who weren't thinking ahead. C.S. Lewis said this, which is good for us. He said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Are we there? Are we living a life that's ineffective now because we're not holding on to the hope and the anticipation of what God has promised us? God wants so much more for us, but we find our lives getting caught up in sadness and depression and addiction and struggles because we're placing our hope in things that are here and that are temporary and we are not thinking about the next world. We're not finding our hope there. We're not anticipating what God wants to do in our life. This life matters, not because it's our only life, but because it is the beginning of real life for us. Are we on a journey to move towards the real life that God has promised us? If you can remember anything we talk about today, we're talking about tenses earlier. The past cripples us. The present distracts us, but living for the future of heaven that God has promised us is what sets us free. Don't, don't live crippled in the past tense. Don't live distracted in the present tense, but live future tense toward heaven. How do we do that? Real quick, five things. Number one, live for what lasts. This world is full of all kinds of temporary things that we can invest our lives in. Cars, houses, degrees, businesses, all those things are good and fine. But they're not what we give all of our energy to. They're not what we invest our whole lives in. Rather, invest in things that matter. Your family, your spouse, your kids. Uh, Investing in the lives of people who are far from God. Serving in your church, serving your community so that the gospel can be seen. Those are things that are of eternal value. Live for what lasts. Number two, think about destinations. Every person that you come in contact with has one of two eternal destinations. Every single person. Guys, that should affect the way that we think and the way that we view the world. They are either having a hope in heaven and what God has promised them, or their end is destruction in hell. That should cause us to live differently and have compassion and have love. Number three, understand that time is short. Don't waste the time that you have. Don't spend it on meaningless things. But invest that time in things that make a difference. Number four, follow the path that God's given you. The things we talked about earlier. Spend time in God's word daily. Spend time in communication with him in prayer. 
find someone that you can imitate, that you can uh, have disciple you. Uh, Ultimately, get in a huddle and allow that to be a model for you to grow and get you moving down this path that we've talked about. Lastly, number five, anticipate. Anticipate heaven. I think we all know that this world is broken and has nothing to promise us that lasts. But God has given us so much that we can hold on to. He has made all things new. And we hold on to the hope that he's promised us in that. I hope for us today as Christians, this can be a mind shift for us. That we can look at our lives and say, you know what? I've been letting the past cripple me from moving forward. Or I've been letting the things that are in my life right now distract me from where God wants me to be. And say, I want to start living in light of heaven. I want to start living like heaven matters. I want to start living for the future that God has for me. Or maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. And you're hearing all of this and you're saying, I don't have that hope. I don't have that peace to hold on to. I pray that today you would realize that God wants to give you that hope. He wants to give you that anticipation. And if you are just willing to realize what we've talked about earlier, that Jesus loved you so much that he came and he lived a perfect life so that he could take your sins, put them to death on the cross. And then as he came and rose from the grave and gained new life, he has promised you that same new life. And that life is an eternal one, full of joy, full of hope, and full of all the blessings that God has promised us. In a few minutes, as the band's going to come back up, I'll be standing over here. And if that's you, and you're saying, I want that hope. I don't want destruction as my end, but I want the hope that God has promised. Please, come and talk to me or come and see one of our other leaders. We would love the chance um, to get to pray with you. So let's pray. God, we are so thankful that you've given us so much in our lives to look forward to. And we realize, Lord, that so much we waste our energy, we waste our lives, we waste our time thinking about things that don't matter in a real way. Thinking about things that are temporary. And God, you want us to be looking towards the promise of heaven and realizing the hope that we have there. God, change our perspective. Help us to become day-to-day more spiritually mature so that we can see and understand that we need to keep pressing on. Life is hard. Life is painful. We go through tough stuff. But we keep moving because we have such a great hope promised to us in heaven. God, change our perspective and help us to live more and more in a way that brings you glory. In Jesus' name we pray.